0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
1: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk?
2: Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you.
3: This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this Wednesday, the 19th of April in London. Coming up today, $787 million. Fox settles with Dominion over bogus claims that it rigged the 2020 presidential election. All that glitters isn't Goldman. The bank's traders miss out on Wall Street's fixed income boom. Less than a stream, Netflix shares drop 10% as new customer
4: sign-ups misestimates. Top Investor details plans to split HSBC Coinbase plots a move here to the UK and central London house prices take a big hit. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers and I'm Leanne Gerrans.
2: Plus, we're live at the Bloomberg New Economy Gateway Europe in Ireland, where the EZB's Philip Lane has told us he expects another hike in May. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll.
3: And I'm Caroline Hetker. Here are the stories that we're following today. Fox News has agreed to pay over three quarters of a billion dollars to settle a defamation lawsuit over the 2020 presidential elections. Dominion accused the US TV network of airing bogus claims that it rigged the election against Donald Trump. Here is Dominion CEO John Poulos.
1: Fox has admitted to telling lies about Dominion that caused enormous damage to my company, our employees, and the customers that we serve. Nothing can ever make up for that."
3: The settlement is about half of what the Dominion CEO was seeking and avoids a potentially embarrassing six-week trial for Fox. Fox argued that its broadcasts were protected as free speech under the First Amendment. In earnings, Goldman Sachs traders have failed to capitalise on a fixed income bonanza. The Wall Street giant was the only major bank to post a decline in the division, with first quarter fixed income trading revenue dropping 17%. Total revenue also fell short of analysts' estimates, but CEO David Solomon says the bank is well positioned for the future.
1: As we sit here today, it appears that the worst of the volatility is behind us. While it's impossible to predict the exact form a market stress will take, and we won't always execute perfectly, our risk management culture, strong liquidity, and robust capital position have allowed us to navigate a complex environment while also continuing to actively support our clients.
3: Solomon says the events of the first quarter demonstrate the resilience of Goldman Sachs and the U.S.'s largest financial institutions. Elsewhere on Wall Street, Bank of America also reported earnings. Traders there saw a 30% jump in fixed income revenue for the quarter. Netflix, though, missed Wall Street estimates after adding only 1.75 million new customers in the first quarter. More on that story now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet.
0: Investors were expecting 2.41 million new customers. Netflix also predicted it will generate lower sales and profit in the current quarter than what analysts had forecast. It sees new customers in the current period as roughly similar to the first quarter. And Netflix will begin cracking down this quarter on U.S. viewers who share someone else's account, predicting plans to charge such customers will boost growth in the second half of this year. In New York, Charlie Pellet. Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.
3: The UK's rate of inflation is forecast to drop below 10% in March, according to analysis from Bloomberg Economics. Our senior UK economist Dan Hansen has the details of what we can expect in today's data. You'll be getting some information about what happened in the past. There'll be a little bit of information
2: about what's happened with energy prices as well. But we are still expecting a fall. We're expecting a fall to 9.8%.
3: Dan Hansen's projection comes after figures showed that UK wage growth unexpectedly accelerated. Average earnings, excluding bonuses, rose by 6.6% in the three months through to February compared with a year ago. We had that data out yesterday. The ECB's chief economist says that he expects the central bank to raise rates at next month's meeting. Speaking exclusively to Bloomberg, Philip Lane said that the size of the move will be dependent on data due in the coming weeks. Q1 suggests we are seeing a reversal of the negative supply shocks that so dominated the European economy last year. So uh, easing of bottlenecks, much lower gas prices. So what I would say from all of that is as of now, two weeks away, I think the baseline is that we should indeed uh, increase interest rates in May. Philip Lane made those comments in an interview with our head of economics, Stephanie Flanders, at Bloomberg's inaugural New Economy Gateway Europe event in Ireland. Goldman Sachs economists have now also lifted their forecast for where ECB rates will settle. They see a terminal rate of 3.75%. Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta President Raphael Bostic says that he favours one more 25 basis point rate increase before holding at 5% in the US. Speaking to CNBC, he said that there's more work to be done, but added that tighter credit conditions may take care of some of that. Speaking elsewhere, this St. Louis Fed President James Bullard is calling for two more hikes. He told Reuters that he believes fears of a recession are overblown. Bullard and Bostic don't have a vote on monetary policy this year but of course all fed policymakers participate in rate discussions so that is a roundup of today's top stories for you now stephen carroll is not in the studio with me this morning he's in ireland of course for the bloomberg new economy gateway europe event good morning stephen great to have you there um you're actually just outside of dublin so where are you exactly
2: Good morning, Caroline. So I'm in the Powerscourt estate. We're about 20 kilometres south of the centre of Dublin city in the beautiful County Wicklow, often known as the Garden of Ireland. So this is a place that has a history of settlement dating back to a 13th century medieval castle. I'm going to paint you a picture of what we're looking at here for this event. The current Powerscourt estate house dates back actually to 17. Forty-one. It was rebuilt after a major fire in the 70s, we're talking about a big manor house overlooking some absolutely spectacular gardens, about 47 acres of gardens here. There's an Italian garden, a Japanese garden. It's also home to Ireland's highest waterfall, 121 <laughs> metres high and by National Geographic has voted it the number three garden in the world. Wow. So I have a very picturesque spot to broadcast from this morning. I'm just waiting for the sun to come up as we're talking to you over the Sugarloaf Mountain uh, here in Wicklow. This This is an absolutely stunning setting. People come from all over the world to visit this place and we're here with a lot of very interesting speakers for the next couple of days.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We brought you just a bit of uh, Philip Lane of the ECB who's been speaking to us ahead of uh, today's event. So who's going to be there? What are going to be the big discussion points?
2: Well, look, the idea of these gateway events is to discuss regional issues with public and private sector leaders. So we're talking here uh, at this event about re-globalisation. Uh, we've got, of course, all of the geopolitical stresses that have faced with Europe, you know, not least the war in Ukraine, but also the issues around trade, around supply chain bottlenecks. Technology challenges, competition between Europe and China, Europe and the United States. We've been talking about the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. and this whole wave of green subsidies that's become a huge issue between the major economic powers of the world. So those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about here. We've got the CEO of one of the big semiconductor makers, NXP, uh, Kurt Sievers is speaking here later this morning. We're also going to be hearing from another central banker, Maria Tadeo is going to be speaking to the governor of the Bank of Spain, Pablo Hernandez de Cost a little bit later on too. We're also going to be looking at the issues facing companies here in Europe. Things like the collapse of SVB, what does that mean for venture capital funding in Europe and for the burgeoning startup scene uh, that so many countries are across this continent are trying to encourage and also mm-hmm. to support their economy that way as well so we have some big public speakers but some big private sector speakers as well
3: yeah gosh that sounds like a great lineup I mean, it's only a couple of weeks ago that credit suisse uh, collapsed and yet that blip sort of seems to have passed so many issues to discuss but also i think um a big moment to think about Europe post Brexit also, of course, and there's a very nice piece on the terminal today about the competition amongst European Union cities, including Dublin, of course, to sort of try to make the most, I suppose, of the jobs that may come their way, the investment. It's a much more fragmented landscape, isn't it, in terms of of uh, finance within Europe now?
2: Yeah, and look, Andrea Orchell from Unicredit is the first speaker up here this morning. He's going to be talking to Francine Lacroix and that's part of the landscape that we're talking about the background to this event. I mean, if you just think about Ireland, Ireland is now the sixth largest exporter of financial services in the world ahead of the likes of France. And part of that is due to Brexit because we did see so many financial services organisations, but also even outside of that, the legal profession, uh, professional services, choosing to relocate or to expand if they're not moving people from London, the idea that they're expanding in other countries in Europe. And that's also a challenge the continent has had to face too. They're looking at a more splintered financial sector, more centres growing up. But this reporting on Paris, really interesting to see how much the French capital has attracted and those big name American banks among them uh, who've chosen to expand and hire much more in Paris to ensure that they have a presence in the European Union after Brexit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. OK. Stephen, thanks so much for being with me. You'll be back uh, later on in the programme, of course. Stephen Cow there for us live in Ireland this morning at the Bloomberg New Economy Gateway Europe event. Much more on that. Uh, having said that, I want to return to the top story that I was discussing this morning. No need for Fox executives such as Rupert Murdoch to take the witness stand. No embarrassing trial. Fox News has settled a lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems for about half the $1.6 billion in damages that Dominion was actually seeking. Joining me now to discuss this is Bloomberg's Derek Wahlbach. Great to have you on the programme, Derek. So all of this relates to a case over the TV network's 2020 election broadcast. This was set to be a huge defamation trial, but now uh, there's been a settlement. What have both sides been saying about this?
1: There has been a settlement, and it is a very, very large settlement—a uh, seven hundred and eighty-seven point five million dollars—a a, a number that is, you know, the size of an airplane, right? You know, it's it's, it's very, very large. Um, you don't generally see settlements of this of this size. Um, the two parties are a little bit split in terms of how they're framing it. Um, Dominion said, you know, truth matters. They said that Fox's broadcast had created a, quote, alternative universe that caused, quote, grievous harm to Dominion and the company. Uh, Fox, however, I thought it was a very interestingly worded uh, statement, quote, we acknowledge the court's. rulings, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false, is how that that started, and it went from there. Uh, So, two very different framings. It wasn't something that was brought up a lot. It was brought up a little, but not a lot in uh, Fox's actual broadcasts going forward. Other rival networks covered it far more aggressively afterwards, as they had, indeed, throughout the entire case.
3: Yeah. What do you think that it shows or or highlights of anything about, um, I suppose, the the political media landscape um, in the US? How does this, as I say, what could have been this enormous trial sort of play into that to to Fox, to, to Rupert Murdoch and so on?
1: Well, there's a couple of things that I think are really important about this. Number one is that um, it will remain to be seen if there's a blood-in-the-water effect here, if uh, mm-hmm. other uh, companies that feel like they have some uh, grievance with the way that Fox or others uh, along an ideological reporting spectrum decide that they want to go press uh, some of their own cases. I mean, I, I think... Uh, there has been a a, a recent move to more aggressively try and test the limits of uh of defamation and media you know i'm thinking back to the gawker case uh that that wound up effectively shuttering that uh uh, some you know some of that operation um so i do think that that is something that's going to be explored a little bit more i also Mm -hmm. think at the same time this prevents another high-profile test uh, in open court of where the limits are of uh, media and defamation uh, rules in the United States. There's a there's a rule that basically comes to an actual malice standard in the U.S. It's not enough to say something uh, is wrong and that that was bad, but you actually have to prove essentially that it was knowably false, that someone knew that it was false, that they did it anyway, and... Um, that that rises to a malice or, ne- malice or negligence of malice uh, sort of standard, so it's higher in the U.S. than maybe in some other countries. Yeah. Uh, so that sort of stays stays there. I do think though. You know the the question of of different ecosystems of if you follow one media outlet and its and its peers versus others of what you're actually onboarding, what you're learning, how issues are framed. That is a real thing uh, in the United States, and it's only going to get more uh, more in the spotlight as we head into the 2024 election cycle in earnest.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Just very briefly, Bloomberg has done some excellent reporting around the private equity firm behind Dominion and actually, mm. you know, how they're involved and, you know, the risks. And now, of course, the, the well, I'll call it a reward because it is money, isn't it, in terms of damages. But there's an important kind of PE element to this story, too.
1: Yeah, sure is. I mean, it, you know, one of the things that Fox was talking about through this whole thing was that the amount of money that Dominion was asking for, and you're talking about like 1.6 billion dollars, mm. was far over what it said Dominion's actual valuation was, right? And and so the um, the firm behind, I'll try and find the the number, but uh, but you're you're talking about uh, Staple Street uh, Capital invested. I believe it was seventy-six percent of the company they paid in in twenty eighteen. They paid thirty-eight point three million for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd seen some uh, estimates that Dominion might have been worth somewhere in the in the range of of a uh, hundred million as a company. So you're talking about if if it's at a hundred million and again, we're in round numbers, right? You know, because because some of these are, are not you know publicly traded, you know, but but. Uh, but even at that, you're talking about more than a 7x valuation, and and, and Staple Street's getting way more than a 7x uh, on that just out of this settlement. Now, what Dominion has in terms of being able to go forward? You know, it has contracts with a bunch of... Was a bunch of states and and will red states states that sort of go for had voted for Donald Trump will they be wanting to go with Dominion even after this? I mean that's an open question. Um, so in terms of the future revenues, who knows? But I do think in terms of this settlement versus what that investment was originally, uh, there have been a lot of uh, uh, of eyes open. There, are, uh, it's yes. it's certainly compared to that. Investment just five years ago. This is a st- this is a settlement on multiple multiples, and that is uh, you know from a financial a- angle, that's certainly intriguing.
3: Yeah, it was certainly unexpected, wasn't it? Derek, thank you so much for being with us. Bloomberg's Derek Wallbank. then, uh, talking us through that major settlement. Uh, Fox to pay close to $800 million to settle a defamation case bought by Dominion Voting Systems. Up next, top investor details a plan to split HSBC, Coinbase plots a UK move as the US squeezes crypto and central London house prices take a big hit.
0: The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and enterprise. Entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code Radio 20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.
2: Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers.
3: Blimberg, Leanne Garrens joins me this morning. The headline in The Times first. Top investor details plan to split HSBC. This is a story that we've covered for a long time. This idea of splitting HSBC. But more details, Leanne.
4: Caroline, it's absolutely something that we've been across for a while. And HSBC's largest shareholder is now accusing bosses of being too close-minded about the breakup of the bank, which they have floated. Yesterday, Ping and publicly called for the creation of a separately listed Asia business headquartered in Hong Kong, something they have said before. And that's all according to Bloomberg reporting. But yesterday was a bit different, you know why Caroline? Because they bought out this extremely strong worded statement. It was 2,000 words long and it really criticised the British lender. Mm. The Chinese insurer actually said it was deeply concerned about HSBC's performance. According to the Times, the Chinese insurer claims that the FTSE 100 bank had exaggerated many of the costs and risks surrounding the breakup proposals that it has put on the table. Mm. Last April, it emerged that Ping An wanted HSBC to spin off this huge Asian division to boost value for shareholders. But according to this letter, the board led by Mark Tucker, the chairman, and Noel Quinn, the CEO, hit back publicly, arguing that the breakup would be complicated, risky, and extremely destructive. Now, what I read into this article we see today in the Times, also very extensively covered here at Blue. Bloomberg is this extremely fractious relationship between Europe's largest bank and one of its most important investors over in Asia.
3: Yeah, of course, but HSBC making a huge chunk of their profits from Hong Kong. So it's, yeah, it's an issue that is not going to go away, I suspect. Um, The Telegraph now. Crypto champion Coinbase plots UK move as Biden punishes, in quotes,
4: tech. What's this about? Yes, Caroline. So this is also something we've been hearing about for a while. Now, the multi-billion dollar crypto exchange Coinbase is considering a move here to the UK. And this really comes as there's no regulatory clarity on crypto over in the US. This is the argument that's been made. America's failure to bring in the regulatory framework for cryptos is massively hitting the industry and could push the likes of Coinbase to relocate. Kate. Brian Armstrong, he's the CEO of Crypto. He made that warning while in conversation with a former chancellor, believe it or not, George Osborne, mm. at the <laughs> Innovative Finance Global Summit over in the States yesterday. And once again, he massively accused America of dragging its feeds when it comes to crypto. And that was Brian Armstrong. Armstrong also said the UK has an advantage over the US because the FCA oversees both commodities and securities, where in the US there's A turf battle, as he describes it, between the separate regulators there. And we must also remember something, Caroline, we've been talking about for a while. The BOE is really considering the introduction of the digital pound and also exploring the possibilities of a system of stable coins. Something else, we've been seeing Bitcoin, haven't we, over the last while. It's been um, hovering north of 30,000 so I'm wondering if crypto is being affected by these regulatory moves. I know Coinbase mm. is a stable coin, slightly different, but we have been seeing the likes of Ethereum and Bitcoin much higher lately.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Versus the crypto winter last year. Yeah. Uh, Financial Times, just briefly, central London house prices suffer biggest annual fall since
4: 2019. Well, Caroline, yes. So we love property, don't we? And central London property prices dropped almost 5% percent in the 12 months to March and this is the largest annual fall in Mm. three and a half years. Now the FT says this is because wealthy buyers are just not committing to deals of these big properties because of the economic outlook. They're just saying they've got fears now, they've got jitters, they've got cold feet and data provided by LONRES shows that in prime housing areas in the capital it dropped to its lowest level since mid 2021. Mm. However You know, the stem is pretty concerning. I'll tell you why. Because values in areas like Mayfair and Kensington tend not to suffer that much due to the surge we see in mortgage costs because the market relies on cash-rich foreign buyers. But this is where we are seeing some of the softness come into the market, dropping almost 5% in 12 months.
3: Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke.
2: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day. Right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.